Well, good evening. Merry Christmas. You know, I went to the doctor about a week ago for that, like, normal blood test, and so I was sitting there, and, and I asked her, the woman who was taking my blood, a question, and I said, so what does Christmas mean to you? And she said to me, Christmas means to me family and food. She says, I don't see my family all year long, but when we get together at Christmas, all we do is eat. And so for some of us, Christmas can mean a number of things. But for me, it's changed over the years. I don't know about you, when I was a child, Christmas meant presents, didn't it? Couldn't wait for Christmas morning, for the presents under the tree. And then as I started to grow and became a teenager into my adult years, it became more about family. It became more about friends, spending time with those that I loved. But it changed for me when I was 30. I came to know Christ when I was 30. And Christmas took a whole new meaning to me. It meant the birth of my Savior. It changed me. And the very first Christmas with my family was different than anything I'd ever experienced before. Christmas carols, the, the words, they, they meant something to my soul. Christmas is Christ. And I don't know where you're at this evening, but tonight we're going to talk about the true meaning of Christmas. And if I was to put it in one word, it's Jesus. So I want to open in prayer and ask God to bless this message and that he'll open your hearts. Father, may you take this word now. May you move our hearts and open us up to the true meaning of Christmas, we pray in Jesus' name. So what's the true meaning of Christmas? Well, the first thing is Jesus came at God's appointed time. Jesus came at God's appointed time. Christmas is all about God coming into real life and time, entering in into time and space. Look at the text in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, also verse 36. It should be on the screen behind you. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth also has conceived a son in her old age, she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. And most of us understand that Christmas has become so secularized. And in the media, you no longer really hear even the name of Jesus. And so for many around the world, the idea that God would break into time and space, that He would come, that He would send His only begotten Son, it's foreign. But to us, we understand that this is an ordained moment by God. It says here in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. Everything around Christmas, everything that surrounds it, speaks of God coming into space and time. God having this preordained time when he would show up for his purpose, save mankind. And the purpose of Christmas is to restore a broken relationship. The relationship between us and him has been fractured. This is the story of God's fulfilled promises. God made promises long ago that he would restore this broken relationship. 
And this time that Jesus came was the exact time that God had preordained him to come. Now, if you know at that time when Jesus arrived on earth, it was controlled by the Romans. And, and why is that important? Well, since Rome had basically conquered most of the known world, there was basically one government. There was a, a system of control. And not only that, Rome had connected most of the known world with roads, which means that communication could spread easily. And not only that, there was a, a, a language that was common among most people. It was the Greek language. And so the message of the gospel could spread now at this exact time that God had preordained for Jesus to arrive. And the Christmas story, it happened at a time for over 500 years there hadn't been a miracle. For over 400 years there had not been a prophet, but suddenly John the Baptist is going to be on the scene. For over 400 years there had not been a, a sighting of an angel, but suddenly angelic hosts would arrive to proclaim this special day. The Christmas story is about God breaking into time and space. The Christmas story is about God fulfilling His promise to mankind. And most of us know the story. All the way back in the garden, Adam and Eve, they had this perfect living relationship with the living God. They knew Him intimately. And God had only one requirement. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as we know how the story goes, Eve was tempted by the certain the devil. And she ate of the fruit and she gave it to Adam and he ate of the fruit. And suddenly mankind was plunged into sin. And that perfect relationship with the living God, it was fractured. And so God, in his grace, made a promise all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, right after the fall. Genesis 3.15, God spoke about restoration. Let me read that for you. He said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall crush you on your head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Speaking to the certain Satan, God says to him that he's going to send one from the woman's seed and he will crush Satan's plan to stop man's relationship with God. God's going to restore that. Now, the amazing thing about that is when, whenever the Bible speaks about seed, it's always speaking about a, a man and a woman. It, when it speaks of a man and a woman, the man is the one who has the seed, and the woman is always spoken of the one who has the eggs, right? They come together and you have a child. But here it speaks of this unique one, this conception that's going to happen because it speaks of the woman's seed that only the Holy Spirit can do. The angel Gabriel, it says in verse 26, was sent from God to Mary. Now, this is the second time that the angel Gabriel has come. If you look at the first part of the book of Luke, the angel Gabriel had come to one known as Zacharias. He was the father of John the Baptist. And most of you know the story. Zacharias was a priest, and he was performing his priestly duties, and he was, he was in the temple. And as he's in the temple, all of a sudden this angel arrives, and it's the angel Gabriel. And he says to Zacharias in verse 13 of Luke chapter 1, he says, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name of John. 
Here Zacharias, I'm sure when he sees the angel, he says that literally the angel has to tell him, do not be afraid. Why? Because he's afraid. And he sees this angel and he says, your petition has been heard, Zacharias. God has heard your prayer. Now understand, Zacharias at the time, most scholars feel was probably somewhere around 60 to 70 years old. Most feel that his wife was at least over 50. They couldn't have children by natural means. But God to fulfill his promise is going to do the first miracle with Zacharias. And Zacharias and his wife will have a child and they'll name him John. Now the angel says this about John in verses 15 through 18. He says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in the woman's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient and the attitude of the righteous so to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then Zacharias, he, he responds to the angel and he says, well, how will I know this for certain? He doubts. And because of his doubt, the angel causes him to go mute. He's unable to speak until the baby is born, John, and then he says his name, he writes it out, and suddenly he's able to speak. This was the first intervention, this divine clock started at that appointed time. And it says in verse 26, now an angel, Gabriel, six months later, comes to Mary. So six months after that event with Zacharias, suddenly the, the angel comes and he's there speaking to Mary. Look at verses 26 and 27. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph to this, by the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. In God's perfect timing, he sends his angel Gabriel to Mary. Now think about Mary. Mary is probably 13 to 15 years old, most scholars think. If you understand, she's just a girl. And the angel's going to tell her that, that her cousin Elizabeth is also going to be with a child. And so you're going to have this humble couple, Mary and Joseph, in a, in a quiet little sleepy town called Nazareth, where divine intervention is going to break into time and space. And the angel's going to let this girl know that She's going to have an incredible child, a miracle child, a God child. In the humblest of circumstances, in the smallest of towns, a miracle is going to happen because God will intervene for people so that billions will have an opportunity to know the true and living God. Now, some people struggle with this idea about a sovereign God. Some people struggle because they have a hard time thinking if God is sovereign, how can man have free will? But, you know, I read something by a well-known writer by the name of A.W. Tozer, and I love the way that he explains God's sovereignty and our free will. This is what he said. He said, it's, it's kind of like an ocean liner that's leaving the port of New York bound for Liverpool, and its destination has been determined by the, the proper authorities. Nothing can change it. This is a, a faint picture of God's sovereignty. On board of this ocean liner are scar, uh, scores of passengers. None of them are in chains. None of their activities are determined by a decree. They're completely free to move about the ocean liner any way that they want. They can play, they can lounge, they can read, they can talk. They can do whatever they'd like, but steadily that ocean liner is moving towards the port that's been predetermined. 
And in the same way, God is moving, predetermined the way that he has. And here in space and time in the Christmas story, these are normal people. Mary and Joseph are just actually young people, just getting started in life. And God suddenly, in his divine plan, enters into the scene because he has a plan to rescue and restore mankind. The first true meaning of Christmas is that Jesus came in God's appointed time. There's a second thing. Jesus came in God's appointed way. Jesus came in God's appointed way. God designed the way that the Christ child would come. God has designed the way that you and I are reconciled to a living God. It's broken up into two sections, verses 27 through 31 and 34 through 37. Let me read that. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at his statement, and she kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. In verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, the holy child should be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. We need to understand that Jesus is one of a kind. He is unique. He is unlike any other person who's ever been born. Now most of us know John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believeth in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. That word begotten means unique. God sent his unique son into the world, unlike any other. And so God's way is unlike we would ever even think of or plan. And we know this because Jesus is unique because he's the only one who's born of a virgin. Twice in verse 27, It says, to a virgin engaged to a man, and the virgin's name will be Mary. Twice, for emphasis, she's a virgin. She's never been with a man. Suddenly, she's going to be with a child. The word virgin is the Greek word parthenos, and it means one who's had no intimate relationship with a man. And now the Jewish practice was when a girl came into puberty around 13 or 14 years old, the parents would get together with other parents, and they would plan basically her wedding. They would if you will, make her betrothed to a man. And they would come together. Now, a betrothal is very different than an engagement that we have in our culture. A betrothal in that day, it was an agreement. And it was written down. And basically, they're married at that point of the betrothal. But they can't consummate the marriage as a couple until they go through about a year together. And then at the end of that year, they have a ceremony, and then they come together and consummate the marriage. By all purposes, Mary is married, but they haven't come together yet. They haven't had that marriage ceremony. What they're saying here is that this is not natural. 
This is supernatural. God is moving in. As a matter of fact, God foretold of this 750 years earlier through the prophet Isaiah. Listen to Isaiah's word, Isaiah 7, 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with a child and will bear a son. And she shall call his name Emmanuel. The first appointed way is that Jesus came by being born of a virgin. But there's a second way. Jesus is unique because he, he's in the line of David. His parents had to be in the line of David. And if you look at verse 27, it says, of the descendants of David. Now we know that Mary, she was engaged to Joseph. And Joseph was from the line of David. He was from the royal line. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 1 speaks of his lineage. And what that means is legally within the Jewish custom is that the, the lineage of the person had to come through the father. And so his stepfather, Joseph, was from the line of David. But it didn't stop there. Mary was also from the line of David. Luke chapter 3 speaks about her lineage. Both parents are from David. And so the angel says to Mary in verses 28 through 31, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was perplexed at this statement, and she kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. It says here that Mary found favor with God. She found favor with God in verse 28. Now understand, you have a 14-year-old girl Suddenly an angel is there and he says, hey, by the way, hi, (laughs) I'm an angel. (laughs) And you found favor with God. Understand what this means is that it's one who receives kindness or grace from God. That's what favor means. One that God has bestowed grace upon. It does not mean that Mary is the one who gives grace to others. Some denominations translate this full of grace. But the proper translation, you need to understand, it means that she has received the grace. She has received the kindness from God. God has made her privileged because he's given her the opportunity to bear this Christ child, this holy one that truly is God's son. Now it says in verse 29 that she's perplexed by the greeting. So the angel tells her, don't be afraid. Again, you found favor with God. And then he tells her in verse 31, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He says, Mary, in your womb, you're going to bear a son. And he's telling her, Mary, I have a pointed way. And the way I'm going to do this is that you will not be with a man, but I am going to make this child in your womb. And Mary, you're favored. I've given you the privilege, Mary. You're the one that will hold this child. You're the one that will bear this child. You're the one that will raise this child. Mary, I'm giving you much grace. Now she responds in verse 34, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Now this sounds a lot like Zacharias, doesn't it? But the difference is Zacharias doubted and had no faith. I think Mary as a 14-year-old, she's just curious. I think she's asking, how does that happen? And we know she has faith because she was blessed. And God blessed her to be with his child. And so the angel responds in verse 35. He says to her, the Holy Spirit 
will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, the Holy Child would be called the Son of God. So God's appointed way is that this child would come through a virgin from the line of David. And the third appointed way would be by the Holy Spirit. He says here that this Holy Spirit will overshadow you. That's a really interesting word in the Greek. It's episkakazo. And it's only used, I found, in the New Testament when he's speaking about the transfiguration, when the Shekinah glory of God came upon the disciples. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon Mary, literally come upon her womb and create in her this holy child. It means to surround, to encompass, to influence. God's miracle upon this woman. And it says here that it will be a work of God. And that the holy child should be called the son of God. This is a supernatural act of God. And Jesus is unlike any other. And the Holy Spirit does this amazing work on this 14-year-old girl. Why? So that you and I may know him and have a living relationship with the living God. So that Jesus could be divine and human. Be born in a manger. He's both man and God. And John 1 speaks of this most clearly. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And so to help make sure Mary has confidence, Gabriel tells her in verse 36 and 37, Behold, your relative Elizabeth, she also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. He says, Mary, don't worry. We've already done a miracle. (laughs) By the way, Elizabeth, you know, she's like in her 60s, Mary. She's with a child. And Mary, you're going to have a child. Now, some people think that God stopped orchestrating miracles back in the first century. But can I tell you, God is alive. And he is constantly working miracles. Matter of fact, tonight, he might be working a miracle in your own heart. I remember when I first came on staff to this church, we we started this evangelism ministry, and we went to a local apartment complex not far from here. And we were walking around, passing out flyers and inviting people to church. And and after we had a chance to speak to some people and we were done, I was walking to my car, and I literally had the key in my car. That's when you actually had to to have a key for your car. (laughs) And I'm going to open the door to my car, and somebody says, Hey, Meller! And I turn around, and there's this guy on the second story of this apartment complex waving to me, and I cannot tell who it is. And he runs out, and his name was Dave Kredovitz. I knew him 20 years earlier. 20 years. I worked with him in a big bear market in San Diego while I was going to college. And so I'm thinking, okay, here I am in this apartment complex to try to share Jesus with people, and suddenly God brings this guy that I knew from 20 years ago. God must want me to talk to him. And so over the next six or so weeks, my wife and I invited he and his fiance to her house. We got to know them. I asked Dave, I said, Dave, would you go with me to, it's called Easter in the Meadows with Chuck Smith. He said, I'd love to. And so Dave and I sat on the grass at Easter in the Meadows, and he listened to the gospel message and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then for two and a half hours in the parking lot 
In the Easter of the Meadows, he and I talked Jesus and he received Christ. God is still working. He is alive. His preordained time happened so that we can say, wow, this unique one has come. Jesus came at God's appointed time. Jesus came in God's appointed way. And Jesus also came to fulfill God's appointed purpose. Look at verses 31 through 33. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over his house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. So God had this ordained plan and he had a purpose in mind. And the purpose would be that his son would come and he would be human. He'd be like you and I. He, he would be born as a baby. He says in verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and, and bear a son. He says, Mary, you're, even though you're a virgin, you're going to have a child in your womb. And so we know that that's supernatural, but understand everything else is natural. The baby Jesus was there for nine months and she had a natural birth and then they went through the, the natural stages. But what's unique about Jesus is because he, he's this God child. He's the only person born who was born sinless. He had no sin. He was the sinless one. He was fully human like you and I. What, what does that matter because God knew we needed a sacrifice and animals cannot perform the type of sacrifice for the sin of mankind. He needed a man, but he needed a perfect man. Someone who had never sinned and Jesus is him. He never sinned. He was born sinless. Not only that, is he a man, but he's fully God. It says in verse 32, he will be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. Now understand that when they call God the Most High, that's taking it all the way back to Genesis 14, verse 18. He is called God Most High. And when, when a, a Jewish person would, would write down and say, you're the Son of the Most High, he's giving you the same level as God, that you're co-equal to God. Jesus isn't lesser than God. He is the Son of God, co-equal with the Father, co-equal with the Spirit. Jesus is human. Jesus is God. And Hebrews 1.3 says he is the radiance of his glory. He's the exact representation of his nature and he upholds all things by the word of his power. And in Matthew 1, it already said that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And so to achieve this, he also said he's going to be Lord over all. If you look at verse 32 and 33, it says he will be great and called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Jesus is the God-man who came to be Lord over all. And he is Lord. Right now he's Lord in our hearts, isn't he? He reigns as Lord to all you who know him. He reigns as Lord. One day he's coming back and he's going to establish an earthly kingdom and he'll reign as Lord on this earth for over a thousand years. And then one day, there'll be an eternal kingdom while his reign is Lord as well. And the purpose of God was to send his son so that he would be Lord, but not only Lord, guys, but humbly come as a savior. 
Look at verse 31 again. He says, Behold, you conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now, now understand, Jesus was a common name in that day. It was, it was the word Yeshua. But when God, through the, through the angel Gabriel, says name him that, there's meaning behind that. Why is that? Because it means Jehovah saves. It means Jesus' name means he's going to be a savior. Jehovah saves. He's coming to save his people. As a matter of fact, in the account in Matthew, it says, she'll bear a son, and you shall call him na his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus came as a man who is God. He came as Lord King, and he came as a Savior. And he came for you, and he came for me. He came for the purpose to suffer and to die, to live the life that we can't live, and to offer to offer freely to each of us. This is what Christmas is. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He came to save. Now, I don't know about you guys, but on Christmas Day, it's really kind of a downtime in our house. And honestly, we do all kinds of things. Usually, I get at least one or two movies. And so usually after we have breakfast and whatever, and this year will be a little different because tomorrow actually is Christmas Day and we'll be here again. But usually we'll watch some kind of a movie. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite movies is the movie Rocky. <laughs> you guys are allowed, don't you like, I mean, the original Rocky, I mean, hey, that's a classic. I know there's like 28 of them now, but, you know, the first Rocky was great. But I was thinking of a statement that Rocky says to Adrian, and, and he says to her, he says, you know, if I can just go the distance, then I know I'm not a bum. He says, if I can just go the distance, I, I know I'm not a bum. And I started to think about that line that he says, and this is so prevalent in our day because I think so many people think like this, and even Christians think like this. And you can just change it. You can say, Lord, if I could just do, then I'll know that I matter. If I could just make more money, then I'll find my identity in that, Lord. And if I could just have that relationship with that person, then I would be someone. If I could have that job, if I could... And we miss the point of Christmas. Because the point of Christmas is that we cannot do. And so God sent His own Son, who did go the distance, all the way to the cross, and rose again, and ascended to heaven, and is at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I. Jesus came in God's appointed time and God's appointed way for God's appointed purpose. And really, this last verse here in verse 38 really gives us the application. Jesus came to bring us to worship. Jesus came so that we could worship the true and living God. Without Christ, you cannot worship Him because you cannot know Him without Him. Look at Mary's response. She says, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary begins in humility and she says, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. Lord, I am your slave. She, she submits to God's plan. She agrees with God's plan. Literally, that, that bondslave is the word doulos or douleo in the Greek, and it means someone who is a servant. She says, I am your servant. Do with me as you will, Lord. And true worship 
always begins with humility and submission. And this is Mary's heart to the Lord. The evidence here in the miracle of, of the Christ child is also Mary. Mary is going to worship the very one that she's carrying. She says, may it be done to me according to your word. That, that's worship. Lord, I'll do whatever you say. For I'm your servant. I'm yours. And we know that she understands that she needs a Savior. Because in just the next few verses... Mary meets her cousin Elizabeth and she begins to, to praise out being filled with the Holy Spirit. And listen to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 48. Mary begins to cry out, My soul exalts in the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded me for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary says that her spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Guys, that is the meaning of Christmas. Can you say, my soul rejoices in God my Savior? Because if you can't say that, you've missed the true meaning of Christmas. The true meaning of Christmas is Jesus. And guys, I love Christmas. I love coming down the back way and all the lights and all the houses. This neighborhood, by the way, they're pretty good. And did you see, I don't know if you've gone this way, you should go out that way, hang a left. Tons of houses with lights. And I love that part. I love the food. We're going to have dinner in 20 minutes. Can't wait. Beef stew is going to be great. But Christmas is about the life of Jesus that began in a wooden cradle. But it's going to culminate on a wooden cross. But that's not a sad statement because he's going to rise again. Christmas is about the living Lord that's come to save those of us. Guys, he's gone the distance. Put your faith in him tonight. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the true meaning of Christmas. I thank you, Lord, that you broke into space and time. I thank you, Father, that you sent your only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but will have, present tense, eternal life. We thank you that this is not just a story or a myth, but it's fact. We thank you for the beauty of the Christmas story. And Lord, let us worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.